Welcome back to After School Science Club. I'm Liv. And I'm Mick. And we hope you enjoyed last week's episode on science past and present. A number of people said they particularly enjoyed hearing about the moon and its cache of precious poo. So we're happy to say that this week we're taking the podcast back to the moon with lunar expert Joav Landsman. We've learned a number of fascinating things from India's recent lunar expedition, including that the moon is warmer than we thought, has seismic activity or moonquakes, and contains sulfur, which was an unexpected discovery because sulfur is quite volatile, but one that gives us new insights into the moon's geochemistry and how it was formed. This week, we explore humanity's interest in the moon, our quest to get there and how we did it with 1960s technology, why we haven't tried to set foot on the moon's surface since, and how to avoid making the same conservation mistakes in space as we have on Earth. We hope you'll be just as fascinated by our conversation with Yoav, so let's take one giant leap straight in. Yoav Landsman, welcome to After School Science Club. Tell us a little bit about how you became a moon expert. Hi. Um, I, I, I love space from very early stage, um, I don't remember myself not liking space, but um, uh, it became something professional when I started uh, studying aerospace engineering. And um, afterwards I started my career in uh, operating communication satellites. And um, during that uh, job, I um, started to, to, to get into the science part of things and not just the engineering. So, I did my master's in planetary sciences, um, and it was specifically about the moon. But later on, I started working for uh, SpaceIL, uh, which was part of the Google Lunar X Prize um, competition. Um, and the mission was to send a privately funded spacecraft to the moon. And um, as, uh, as as someone who were deep into that, um, I was the senior systems engineer of, the, of that mission and later the deputy mission director, I, I was all about the moon. And that gave me also the, um, the idea that I, I need to continue doing that even after the mission ended. So I got involved in all kinds of lunar activities, whether it's entrepreneurship and uh, engineering and sciences and even policy making and commercial things that are uh, emerging uh, around uh, the moon. And uh, hopefully it will become a reality very, very soon. Can you tell me like what your day to day looks like at the moment? Well, it's it, it's it's so diverse. <laughs> I ha- I have a a company, a startup company that I started um, here in Luxembourg. Uh, it's about uh, lunar imaging and actually selling data from the moon. But most of the time currently, until I get funded, I'm mostly consulting to other companies. Most of them are also about the moon, sending um, all kinds of instruments or uh, landers or um, other types of uh, machines to the moon with the vision of uh, of mining the moon and building infrastructure for industry on the moon and all kinds of cool things, very science fiction-y things uh, like that. And it's all real. People are doing that currently. A lot of companies are doing that, in fact. 
and it's uh it's it's super interesting and well in order for that to to become something that we actually do every day we need to maybe we should discuss a bit about sustainability of that and uh, this is something that i'm working on and and a lot of other people are working on and luxembourg is actually some kind of a hub of this ecosystem of trying to figure out how to make uh, space resources utilization something that we actually do and well make profit off but but utilize for 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 things that we, that that we really need and just to to in in one sentence to to let the audience understand why we need that the point is that we need infrastructure in space we need gps system for example and and images from uh, from space and and communication from space it's things that we do every day but if we could have on the moon facilities for uh mining resources and creating satellites and other stuff that we need uh, in space on the moon and launch them back to earth orbit it would be much cheaper than launching them from earth and in addition to that it would be rather easy to send those uh, spacecraft that we made from the moon it would be rather easy to to send them anywhere in the solar system and this is this is mind blowing because the fact is that sending anything to anywhere in the solar system most most of the effort most of the energy that we need in order to achieve that is getting out of earth most of it once we are in earth orbit actually everything else is is much less costly so it's it's just closing the gap of creating this infrastructure on the moon which is a huge gap but uh this is why we do that so cool it's you're doing for a living what most people only do in video games so you've talked about sustainability what risks do we pose to the moon and how can we protect it um uh well the moon will stay there uh, a lo- long time after us i guess the thing is that we are very much aware of environmental aspects on earth today and we know that we are not doing very good right we we pose danger not to the earth itself actually but but all all the uh fauna and flora of the earth and obviously the, the population of human beings going to the moon with robots or with people uh means that we will probably start to do the same for the moon we'll we'll start doing some awful things to the environment if we're not thinking about the ahead and regulate that maybe and make sure that people are behaving it's not something that we um very good at right but we should try to um to think about it now and there's a lot of activity uh in policy making uh, for the moon because currently the, there is no legal framework there is an out of space treaty from 67 that says basically that the moon cannot or any other place in space cannot be owned by anyone but it's a treaty it's not a law and um there's a lot of things that are missing i mean there are currently four countries in the world that made it legal to to sell things from space because the the actual activity of selling stuff you need to own that right but if you can't own something um like in the like the treaty says then then it's difficult to to uh, to make sure that it's legal to sell things but it's 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 a bit like fishing in in uh, in the open sea 
right? It's it's legal to do that, even though the sea is um, is is not owned by any country. I mean, if it unless it's close to to a shore, but it's still legal to fish there. So it's it's going to be about the same. I I may not be able to own a territory on the moon, but if I collect some ore or some soil from the moon, I might be able to sell it. But as I said, currently only uh, four countries uh, decided that this is something that is legal. And those countries are the US, Luxembourg, the United Emirates, and Japan. And those countries are the countries that are on the front of developing this aspect of uh, space resources utilization. So this is part of making it sustainable. This is just an example. This this is a huge topic. So you're saying I can't really do anything with that square meter of the moon. You you don't really own that. I'm sorry. No, I don't really own that. Wait, square meter? There are companies where you can buy yourself or someone that you care about a square meter of the moon, just like you can buy them a star. But sadly, it sounds like we can't do anything with them. You, you own the paper, basically. <laughs> oh, okay. It doesn't give you any rights. But there's a lot of uh, uh, interesting uh, things about that. For example, um, there are some organizations that require the to 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 secure the, the Apollo landing sites, for example, as heritage sites. Because uh, obviously, especially the, the site of Apollo 11, this is... The first time humans arrived to the moon to land on lunar soil. And this is something that we want to remember and we want to keep as is, as much as possible. But currently there is no um, legal framework to, to actually protect it. Just on that, actually, is there actually anything on the moon right now since the moon landings? Is there anything that's sort of not a permanent structure, but anything that was left behind? First of all, I mean, Apollo is, is a good example, but there were only six Apollo landing landings on, on the moon, so six uh, landing sites, but there were a lot of robots that were sent there before and after. There are currently two operational Chinese landers that are still working on the moon with rovers around them. So there weren't a lot of activity since, since the 70s, uh, I think. Back then, the, the last one was uh, a Soviet uh, spacecraft that landed there in 76, I think. And since then, only the Chinese landed, landed there three times. One of them uh, landed on the far side of the moon, which is something that has never been done before. So, yeah, this is what uh, what's going on there. But there's a lot of spacecraft that landed there uh, or crashed there. But if you take all the things that got, all the human-made things that got to the moon compared to the size of, of, the, of the surface of the moon, it's, it's very few, right? So there's a lot of um, untouched ground there currently. So let's talk a little bit then about the moon landing. Can you explain about how we were able to reach the moon, especially back in 1969 with 60s technology with a completely analog technology yeah we took a lot of risks basically the, the first thing that was needed is to have a huge rocket because basically sending things to the moon should not be that difficult if if they are very 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 light but uh, if you need to send them large machines especially with humans which 
make it much, much more um, heavy because you need life support and, uh, and food and water. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a huge operation. And if I remember correctly, the, the size of the lunar lander uh, in the Apollo missions was something like 45 tons. It's, it's huge. It's something that's in no other mission you need to, to lift something that, that heavy. So if you want to just send a probe to the moon or something like that, you, you don't need something that huge of, of a rocket. I mean, so they started to, they, the United States, uh, NASA started to build uh, huge rockets uh, for that. And um, the rocket that did that was the Saturn V. And eventually it, it's not just the complicate the technical complication of that it's it's funding basically if if you have huge budgets then then you can do uh, almost anything right and again if i remember correctly i i think that they put something like 20 billion dollars every year for that program this is in today's uh, currency so it, it it was huge and uh Thousands of people worked on that in in various uh, facilities in the United States because there were also a lot of unknowns. The space age just just started, right? It, 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 there weren't a lot of uh, information about about the moon, especially about the the, the the soil of the moon and how how it will be to land on that. Can you land on that? I mean, they, they, it's not that they thought it was made of cheese, right? But for example, one of the theories were that you might sink in the dust of the moon and uh, you can't land on it because it's not solid as a solid rock, for example. Um, they couldn't do that. So they sent at first the Ranger um, spacecraft, uh, robotic spacecraft that were actually impactors. They didn't try to land. They tried to hit the right spot on the moon. To, to show that they can travel to the moon. And later on, there were the surveyor, surveyor uh, missions that attempted land, landings uh, on different sites uh, on the moon to prove that it's feasible. And they learned a lot and, and quite fast. And at the same time, they worked on how, how, to, how to sustain human life in space for the amount of time that they needed for the, those missions and figure out how to bring them to the moon and of course, how to bring them back because it's not that trivial. So a lot of very smart people work on that. And that's how they did it, basically. A huge budget and uh, a lot of people. So how can we be sure that humans have really walked on the moon? Because there's so many people out there, obviously, who doubt it. Well, I don't know if so many, but people who doubt it. So debunk that myth. How do we know? First of all, uh, people start to... To think about it aloud, at least, uh, I think way after the the landings. So we can ask how, and we can ask why. Also, why would someone try to um, to fake that? Because the the moon landings back then were part of a, of a political race, basically a technological race with the Soviets, a way to to prove which nation has the best technology without sending nuclear rockets on top of each other. So so it, I, I I think that it might be easy to believe that it would that it was fake if you didn't experience the process. I mean if one day uh, let's say Elon Musk goes to Mars just out of the blue, it 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 would be unbelievable. I mean if you don't see 
first uh, robotic missions and then uh, long duration human space flights uh, around Earth or around the moon or something like that. And uh, only after a lot, a lot of effort and a lot of money that has been spent on that um, and a lot of uh, technological advancement, only then you 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 would believe that um, that it really happens. And from today's perspective, you would say, well, the 60s were so long ago, how could they go to the moon? Uh, and this sounds unbelievable, but they did a lot of other things that are quite complicated but by that time. I mean, think about the um, even, even uh, the, the nuclear weapons. Uh, it's not something simple, right? And they already had computers back then. It's nothing is simpler is simple about that. So why not going to to the moon? I mean, it's not something completely crazy compared to the other things. So it's just another sector. So I, I think that uh, that there is first of all no reason to think that it th that they didn't do that. And if they wanted to fake that in order to make the, the Soviets believe that they won the race, it sounds completely ridiculous because the, the, the Russians wouldn't know that, they, that the Americans launched something to, to, to the moon. They can't aim their uh, radars and antennas to, to the spacecraft and, and follow it and uh, watch its uh, trajectory and intercept the radio frequencies and see all, all that. You can't hide launches to space and you can't you can't say that you launched something if, if if you didn't because it's so easy to see that and also there's a lot of uh, experts in 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 photography and and movie making uh, that are saying that the technology to fake uh, the moon landing uh, would be impossible at at that stage it, it was much more complicated than getting people to the moon and back which which is funny, but but uh... I guess it's the difference between shooting a very big bullet and then high tech thing. Yeah, and and all the tiny details. So, for example, the uh, the um, argument that you don't see stars in the uh, photos from the moon landing. So, first of all, if they tried to uh, if if they invest so much to to fake it, then what would be the effort to add stars, right? But the fact that you don't see stars is because it was uh, it was taken in daylight. I mean, you don't see stars outside if, if it's daylight, right? So it's, it's basically the same reason. Everything else is so bright. So you don't see stars because they are very dim. I, I can answer these arguments all day, but I... I I prefer not to because I think it's it's completely ridiculous and the people has been on the moon and we already have images of the landing sites that where you can see features you can see the flag you can see the things but in in pictures that were taken from orbit and were published uh, by the Russians and the Chinese I, I mean you you can actually uh, you can actually see that the astronauts of the Apollo missions also were. Uh, put there on the ground um, uh, retroreflectors, laser retroreflectors, so you can point a laser beam from Earth to the moon and receive it back in order to, to measure very precisely the distance to the moon, which, which is not a constant. Um, so you can measure it, but the fact that it's bouncing back is because of this instrument. So from the scientific position of having reached the moon in 1969 and again thereafter, 
we haven't been back in 50 years. Why haven't we gone back yet? That's a very good question. And the fact is that the, the reason for the Apollo program was to beat the Soviets. And uh, once they got to the moon and uh, got the astronaut back, they've beaten the, the Soviets. So there were no other reasons to continue doing that. So they continue with the hardware that they already uh, invested money uh, in building. And so, so they sent several missions like that. And eventually after seven missions, six landed and one uh, was Apollo 13. They didn't land, unfortunately. They just stopped. There were already um, three missions that were built and they, they just canceled that. And those missions were uh, pivoted into something else. But the Soviets back then, they, they understood that they, they lost the moon to the to the Americans. So they changed their, um, their goals into something else. And they invested a lot in space stations um, and other, th other things in space. And the whole space race changed into something uh, something else in earth orbit and the fact is that since then since the seven the, it was uh, 72 the last apollo mission apollo 17 no human being has ever reached the moon and in fact until very recently no human being was ever flown beyond uh, an altitude of 600 kilometers from earth so the moon is 400,000 kilometers away, okay? So 600 kilometers is not that much compared to the, to the moon. Is there actually any advantage of us going back and walking on the moon again for whatever reason? Is there an advantage in 2023 to actually go back to the moon? Sending people there is something of a bit of a con uh, controversy because a lot of things can, can be done only with robots and it's obviously safer and... Uh, uh, less expensive, but we are not there yet. Robots can't do anything. And uh, people can do things, uh, some things much better than robots. For example, uh, this is something that I've heard uh, about Mars, but it, it's the same for the moon, that, uh, about the rover uh, curiosity or perseverance that are roving Mars currently. They are roving very, very slowly from one place to another. And they're they're going very slowly also because of uh, technical reasons but mainly because the science team is so large and the sci scientists just sometimes can decide uh, which site is the best and uh, they they probably arguing about that all the time but when an astronaut is uh, is on uh, on the moon or anywhere else they can just uh, see something interesting and go check what it is I mean, it's it's much much simpler. So one day robots might do that uh, in, in the same way, but at least now robots are not curious, if, even if you call them curiosity, right? They 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 can't just decide to go somewhere. They they go where, where they are ordered to go. We have a question, and this is based on what you said earlier about the uh, retro reflectors for measuring the distance and things. Can you tell us a little bit about how we know what we know or what we theorize about the moon so far? How have we learned the facts that we already know? What did we gather through conjecture? What did we gather by visiting? There are some, some things that you can measure from here. 
um, for example, uh, you, you can calculate its, uh, its uh, gravitational pull. You can uh, gather in some information about the, um, the, the components that you have in the ground, the uh, compounds and the uh, elements that, that you have on the ground, but it's very limited and insufficient. Um, because, for example, in order to, to really understand the gravitational field of the moon, you need to send spacecraft there to orbit it. And only when they started doing that, they understood that it, it's not as simple as the Earth. The, the gra gravity field of the Earth is very uniform. I mean, if you need very high uh, accuracy, then, then it's not entirely uniform, right? The Earth is not a... Um, pure uh, ball with the same density everywhere. Um, it, it's more complicated than that. But for the moon, is it's much less uniform. And they needed to send uh, a specific mission of, um, with, with two spacecraft to, to orbit the moon to measure the areas where you have higher gravity or less gravity and to, to map the gravity field of, of the whole moon. For, the, for that, you... This is some, not something that you can do from here. I mean, people are, were still here, but we, we need to send spacecraft there. This is really fascinating to me. Why isn't the moon, why is it so non-uniform? That's a good question. There are uh, huge mass concentration underground in different areas of the moon, which are much dense than, than others. The reason is probably because of, the, of how the moon was made, how, how it was created uh, when the solar system uh, was created. And the, uh, because at first it, it wasn't clear if the moon arrived here from somewhere else in the solar system and, uh, and was captured by Earth gravity field, or it was um, created from something else, like uh, from the Earth itself. And th this is currently the, the main assumption or the main uh, thesis about how it was uh, created. And the theory is that some huge mass, something like with the mass of Mars, hit Earth um, back then. We are talking um, four point, almost 4.5 billion years ago when the solar system was very, very young. Uh, the Earth was not solid yet. I mean, if you call it solid now. And the chunk of rock and other elements that uh, that were uh, flown to space uh, they stayed in earth orbit but they solidified into a, a different body which is the moon now it, it it happened very long ago and it's it's not something that happened in a day it was a long process and there are still uh, questions that are not completely clear about that um, for example why this side of the moon that points that always points to the earth wh why it's this side and not the other side for example uh, is there a reason for that or uh, uh, why the uh, the moon is not uh, uniform as i mentioned before or uh, why doesn't it has a magnetic field and and a lot of other questions and i i mentioned before that we can that we can tell what are the um, the elements that we that you can find on the moon. So we see them. We, we can see from here only the outer layer, right? But in order to really understand what's going on, you you had to send people or uh, robotic machines to the moon and bring back samples. 
I mean, you could bring a laboratory to the moon, but it, it's much, much more expensive, obviously. Um, so they got material back and the astronauts also uh, brought back rocks, uh, including some rocks that are ancient, even more than the Earth itself. I mean, more than the, the most ancient rocks on the Earth uh, that we found, because the moon is almost it's almost pristine, right? It, it almost never changes unless something hit it and um, and it happened, but not very often. Um, so we can learn a lot about what happened in a solar system billions of years ago. And on the Earth, it's very difficult to uh, to to understand this. We we have some evidences, but sometimes it's it's very very difficult to uh, to get that information. On the moon, it's just there. Uh, but it's not on the surface because the surface is getting uh, under the dust if something hit the moon or uh, it, it gets bombarded by radiation, so it changes a bit. Um, so the interesting parts are under the outer layers. So we still need to get there uh, to, to, to get some questions answered. And... Obviously, as it always happened in science, uh, we will find new questions to uh, to explore, uh, which is super cool, and scientists love it. And I think it's it's something that uh, makes it all uh, worthwhile. There's there's a lot to learn. I find this so interesting. I was literally talking the other day with a friend of mine about how the moon was created, and neither of us actually we didn't Google it, but I think they said, oh yeah, it actually came off the earth. And I was like, no, it didn't. I was like, you're having me on. That's so interesting. Um, You mentioned radiation there. So with space travel, there's a risk of radiation, right? Where does that, where does that come from? Where, how is that happening in space? All right. So radiation is, uh, is composed of two completely different things. One is um, electromagnetic radiation, uh, like X-rays or gamma rays, uh, which is very dangerous for uh, human beings, but also um, uh, tiny particles like uh, electrons and protons and the tiny um, uh, nuclei of uh, of, uh, elements, uh, like helium and other uh, light elements, that most of them comes from the sun. Uh, because the sun always pushes away uh, its uh, its material, which is basically hydrogen mostly, um, and hydrogen is protons and uh, and electrons. But on the sun, it's, it's plasma. It's it, it's protons and electrons, but they're not together in the in the same atom because of the uh, immense heat. So the sun always um, radiates uh, these particles away, and they get to Earth and to anywhere else. And they are very dangerous for biologic materials, but also for electronics because they are uh, electrically charged. And actually, it doesn't really matter. Even if they were not electrically charged, if they hit something at those speeds, those velocities, they are evaporated into the tiny particles like dust even uh, evaporate into uh, charged particles into plasma. And then it's very dangerous for electronics. So, so this is basically the radiation that we have. We have also radiation of uh, mostly like gamma radiation or uh, uh, very high energy particles, or subatomic particles from outer space, f- 
from supernovae and um, other um, other events like that in space, and they can reach into the solar system as well. It's actually going against the the particles and the radiation from the sun. Uh, so when the sun has is less active, we have more particles from outer space and vice versa. So it's very dangerous and therefore we need to protect our electronics and obviously the astronauts that are going to space. And this is uh, a problem that we know how to solve. I mean, we you can hide uh, behind uh, very uh, heavy and very heavy lead shields, for example, to block that radiation, but we don't want to launch things that are too heavy, right? So this is not a very practical uh, solution. If we live on the moon, for example, we can live underground or or build habitats that are made of soil or uh, or uh, metal or uh, whatever we like to to block radiation. But if we go outside or if we want to travel to Mars, for example, we need to figure that out. Before we wrap up, I want to know, uh, yeah, what's what are some of your favorite facts about the moon? What are things you tell people about the moon to really blow their minds? There's so many things. There's a lot of questions about how does biology works on the moon? I mean, if people are going to live on the moon, obviously we need to to understand uh, what we can do, what we can't do. We understand some of the physiology aspect of being of living in space but people has been living in space for uh usually in, in the international space station they've been there for uh six months or so sometimes longer just a few people spend uh more than a year in space so we don't have the um enough statistics to to really understand how, how it was how it is going but the international space station or any other um, mission, uh, human mission in space is almost zero G. We call it micro G. On the moon, we have one sixth of G, of, of Earth gravity. So we don't know <laughs> uh, what it means. Maybe it, it means that everything is possible and uh, that's okay. Uh, I bet it's not. We'll probably find some uh, new things that uh, might happen. We don't know how plants are growing in partial g we 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 never we we never had the a, a good way to 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 measure that to explore that so these are things that we must uh we must explore if we are going to uh spend time on the moon and uh, send people to vacations on the moon or anything like that and in fact there already been some biology on the moon that we are responsible for which is the human waste that the Apollo astronauts left on the moon. As in waste from the rocket? Waste from the humans. That's what I meant though, as in like waste that technically came from what they were doing inside the rocket. Or their spacesuits, how does that? When they were going outside in spacesuits, they were wearing diapers. But when they were inside their capsule, they just used bags. And they just chucked that out onto the moon and left it behind. Oh, on, on, on the moon. They just left it outside because it's, it's um, you know, it's it's mass that they didn't want to, um, to take back home because it's um, not useful. And they were, they, they needed to bring back rocks instead. <laughs> so, so it, it would be very interesting to, to, uh, take a sample 
to send some robot there and take a sample and see if some bacteria survived that. Because um, some probably did, but are they the same as as they were before, or has uh, there been some changes? We know that in, in microgy, some bacteria change their uh, behavior and change their, uh, I mean, some some became uh, even dangerous. So it, it would be extremely interesting to, to find out what, what happens there. Thank you so much, Yoaf. That was so interesting. Can you, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you on social media, your website, anywhere that people can go to find out more? Yeah, sure. So first of all, thank you for having me. And you can find me on uh, LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. Uh, you can uh, look for my, my name, Joav Lanzmann. My uh, Twitter handle is Massacritit, which is in Hebrew, it's critical mass, uh, which was the name of my uh, ancient blog. So uh, yeah, you are invited to follow me. Amazing, thanks so much. Thank you so much. That was such a fascinating discussion. I can't wait to learn more. Thank you for listening to After School Science Club, hosted by Liv Gaskell and Mick Schubert, with music by Sam Watts. I'm Liv, and you can find me on Instagram at sciencewithliv. And I'm Mick, and you can find me at mickschubert.com, as well as a variety of other places. You can also email us at scyclubpodcast at gmail.com. That's S-C-I club podcast at gmail.com. So get in touch if you have any burning questions or if you want to suggest a cool topic for us to discuss in a future episode. Thanks, and we'll see you next episode. Boom! We did it!